Lance Howery. Kind of like a rabbit's foot. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if our first five podcasts are lucky. Have you ever we had any, I don't know if we'll have any views. I don't know. Zane Potter. And let, let's let's be honest here. It's not exactly five-star media. This is Men in Armor. Good. It's all good. Good. Welcome, welcome, guys, uh, to yet another episode of Men in Armor. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Saint Potter. Uh, sitting across from me, as always, is Lance Howry. How you uh, doing, man? Doing good. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, we have a special guest today. Very special guest. Uh, we've had... Have we had guests the last two episodes as well? Yeah, episode eight and nine. Yeah. Episode ten's not recorded. No, episode nine's... I don't know. No, episode ten. There we go. Yeah, yeah. the Christmas special. No, episode nine is the Christmas special. We episode haven't recorded nine. that yet. Anyway, so the last two guys we've had on, good guys, uh, talked about our topic with us, but this is going to be different. We have a guest on today that uh, we will actually be talking to him about him, uh, getting his story and see what he's all about. So uh, without further ado, Pastor Cecil, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, doing really well. Uh, you enjoying your Saturday yet? Well, I am, but I think we need to pause here and wish you a happy birthday. Oh, today. yeah. No, we don't need to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah man. 25 years old. You're an old man. Uh, some days it feels like it. Quarter way to 100. <laughs> I mean, one quarter of your life is in the books. Is it, though? I mean, maybe, who knows? Maybe it could be uh, could be like a third of my life. Well, let's not, let's not be uh, pessimistic. Uh, that's right. <laughs> let's plan on 100. I don't know if I if I go the rate my dad does, I'll probably live to a hundred. My great grandma lived to be ninety nine and passed away. No, ninety eight and passed away like six months before her ninety ninth birthday. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah, that's so, a bummer. Hey, but I don't know if I want to be on the rock on this rock this that long. Really? I mean, yeah. It, I don't know. It depends. Yeah. Depends on how well I'm doing physically and mentally. You yeah. know. I mean, my grand. She was. She was. She wasn't, uh, you know, out of her faculties or anything. She was still, but uh, obviously had, she had trouble getting around. But, I mean, she was, she did well for herself. Right. So, I think that would probably be the way to go if you're going to be around this long. So, anyway, so, uh, I don't even know how to start this. This is different. <laughs> we haven't, yeah. we haven't, uh, usually we have a topic, so. Uh, I guess we just dive right into it. Uh, tell them who you are, Cecil. I mean, other than the fact that you're my pastor. Well, I'm I'm Cecil Brown. I uh, <clears throat> am the pastor of Westside Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita. I uh, have a beautiful wife of 33 years, and I have three kids. One of them grew up with you. Well, they three of them grew up with yeah. you, but... One's uh, graduated at the same time you did. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, Ashley, and Brittany. I got identical twin daughters, Ashley and Brittany. And uh, I am a grandfather. I have two grandkids now. So, hot dog. Is that you? Yeah, it's me. 
I heard a ding. <laughs> I thought that meant that, shut up. That's no, that's what <laughs> times up. That's what happens <laughs> when you uh, connect all your technology to your computer and your phone's on silent, but your computer's not. Well, I went times up. Uh, thanks for the interview. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you next time. Yeah. So how how have you enjoyed your uh, your uh, what do you call it tenure? Not tenure. Your time, I guess you could say, at Westside. Well, I, I've loved it. You know, I I uh, spent 16 years in Durango, Colorado as their pastor. Yeah. And that was my first pastorate. And then I came here, and I've been here for eight years now. And it's been a wonderful time. The people are great. Uh, I, I love the city. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a wonderful place. And I'll probably retire from Westside. Is it is it Durango by the biggest Wichita? I've never been there, so no, <laughs> no, no. Durango was uh, probably about uh, seventeen thousand people. Yeah, I it's mean, about the size of Newton. Is it? Yeah, they're about fifteen thousand. Really? Yeah, that'd be about the same size then. Yep. I mean, because I've but I've always you know heard about people going. It's pretty big tourist destination. Oh, huge tourist. Yeah, huge tourist. They've got skiing there yeah. and mountain biking and hiking all year round you get tourists there year round yeah. so and you can tell the tourists when you see them yeah so uh how uh did you how did you like Durango compared to here or where you grew up in Iowa well you know we spent 21 years in Colorado yeah we got married and basically after about three years moved to to Colorado Springs, Colorado, so I could go to school to be a pastor. Yeah. And uh, so 21 years we lived in Colorado. So Colorado is kind of like a second home besides Iowa. Uh, it's kind of like we love going back there, really miss the mountains, uh, the snow, uh, which we don't get a lot here in Wichita, but... Um, Colorado's one of my favorite places. I uh, <clears throat> I grew up, my grandparents would take me every year. We'd go for about a week. We'd go out to Gunnison, Colorado, mm -hmm. and we'd go fishing out at Blue Mesa Reservoir. Oh, yeah. Go up to Taylor Mountain, or Taylor Reservoir, and fish up there, too. But yeah. that's one of my, some of my favorite memories. Yeah. But I, I love Colorado. I took the family there the last two years, and it's been pretty cool. Well, anytime we can get to Colorado, we go, and, and we just absolutely love it. And, you know, we can go back to Durango anytime, and... And we know people there. They, yeah. they love us there yet. And we can go back to Colorado Springs. We know people there, and, and we have fun there. So Yeah, I had some friends uh, move out there about a year ago. Um, they uh, they were going to church here, and he, he was a pastor, but he uh, kind of took a break from pastoring for a little bit, and then they went out to Cannon City, Colorado, to start um, being a pastor out there at a church. And so mm -hmm. they're, they're having a lot of fun out there. Cannon City is a great place, too. Yeah. You know? He loves it because it's like the it's kind of like a bowl, and so the weather's not it's uh doesn't get as cold as some of the places in Colorado or as warm as some of the places out mm -hmm. in the plains area, and so pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's kind of like Durango down in a down in a bowl. Mm -hmm. You got to go over a mountain pass to get out of Durango. So, hmm. well, uh, you said so. You live in uh, Colorado for twenty one years. Mm -hmm. You went to Colorado Springs to become a pastor, and I've heard a lot of your story, but I don't know if I've ever heard that part. I mean, how did you, I mean, what was your, what was seminary like? I mean, how, how does that work? I mean. Well, it, it was, it was busy. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I can say that uh, there was no sleep. 
Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I worked full time and I went to school full time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I had been a cop, uh, all my life. And so when I went there, I got a job as a security guard at a college and I was a night supervisor of security. So I worked a midnight shift and, uh, I get off work and I get a little bit of sleep and then I do my study and then I go to school in the evening. Wow. And uh, so it was a very busy time. Uh, we also, Lisa and I, sang for the college's PR group, and which means every Sunday we traveled to different churches and we sang and promoted the college. And and uh, I also played uh, on the intramural basketball team, and <laughs> and we and we were you know always doing something, you know. So there wasn't a whole bunch of time for sleep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it it was it was a great time. Yeah, made friends, uh, and uh, you know when you sit in a classroom setting instead of going online, which uh, Nazarene Bible College now is all online. But when you sit in a classroom setting, you get to interact with your professors so much more. And uh, you know I still have professors now that are really good friends of mine. That, yeah, you know I developed that friendship with. Yeah. So what? Uh... I guess what called you to be a pastor, I mean, this is what we really want to get down to is your call and what uh, drew you to it. And Well, my call to be a pastor is, is quite a long one. Yeah. I, I uh, <clears throat> was called when I was a teenager, but, uh, you know, I wasn't a very good uh, public speaker, yeah. and, and so it really scared me to be... Uh, in front of people to speak. And, and in fact, I, I tell people that the only reason I passed speech class in high school was so that the teachers didn't have to hear me the next semester. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that was my big argument with God, and I actually ran from God and, uh, uh, and just turned my back on him and did my own thing for several years. And... Uh, when when I met Lisa, um, we both weren't Christians, and we were doing our own thing, and and we became Christians and gave our lives to Christ. And and when that happened, um, I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor again. But I was a police officer. I loved being a police officer. There was everything about it I loved, mm -hmm. and I didn't want to stop being a police officer. I mm -hmm. wanted to. Uh, retired from police work. And uh, one night um, I was I was teaching a, a college and career age single adult Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. And I was writing a Sunday school lesson for it. And God was really speaking to me. And he said, how can you teach a class on, on surrender to me when you won't surrender? Hmm. And so we argued for about an hour, and I just told God, I said, okay, if you want me to be a pastor, I'll be one, but you tell Lisa. Hmm. <laughs> and two weeks later, Lisa, out of the blue, tells me, I think God's calling us into full-time Christian ministry. <laughs> <laughs> and so we started the process at that point and uh, went went to school to be a pastor and 
and she went to school also and and uh, took our first church in Durango there. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, being in a how long have you been a cop at this point? At that point when I when I was called, I had been a cop for about 8 years. Okay. So almost a decade. Yeah. So what was that like? feeling yourself being pulled from something that was a comfort zone somewhere where you were you knew your abilities you were capable you were comfortable and god basically goading you into something that you know you didn't feel you could do well it it was it was difficult and what made it more difficult is uh uh there there was one of the things that i really wanted to do is be a school resource officer in the high school and uh that position opened up for me mm. about the time I resigned and they said if you stay we'll give you that position which made it even more difficult mm-hmm. um and it was it was really scary for me yeah i i was afraid i was i did not want to get in front of people and speak. And so when I went to school, it was very nerve wracking. Hadn't been in school since I graduated from high school. And so going from that to college, uh, it, it was tough. Yeah. It, it was, I was very fearful yeah. to say the least. Yeah. I bet. Cause I mean, I know cause you, uh, your dad was a cop. You've talked about this. Your dad was a cop. Your brother is your brother still a cop? No, no, he's he's retired. Is he retired? Yeah, but he was a cop. My dad's dad was a cop. Um, so there's definitely a bloodline there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was something that I just it it came naturally to me. Yeah, you know. Um, and as I told you, the stories was a lot of fun. Yeah, sometimes. yeah. <laughs> we'll get into those. Believe me. Um, so. I guess we touched on a little bit of your family. What was what was what was your life like growing up? I mean, well, when when you know, growing up, I I I grew up in a in a small town. That, uh, actually, grew up in Waverly, but uh, when we moved back uh, to Iowa, we moved to a town named Green Iowa, just outside of Green Iowa. It was a town of about a thousand people. And we were very, very poor. My dad wasn't a police officer at the time. He was uh, working in a cement factory, making about 50 cents an hour. And so what we did in the summertime is we we had a great big acre garden that we, we grew our vegetables in for mm-hmm. the whole year. And my mom would can them and things like that. Uh, and then in the wintertime, uh, my dad and I would go out hunting and, uh, he would, uh, whatever we got hunting is what we ate. And we ate a lot of rabbits. And to this day, my mom will not eat a, a rabbit because <laughs> <laughs> she cooked rabbit in every way you could think of. And she just will not eat a rabbit today, but that's, that's what we did. That's, that's how we ate. And, uh, so we were very poor growing up, and and uh, in in the uh, mid '60s, my dad got hired on as as a police officer in Waverly, Iowa, and we moved there, and things got a little bit better. Yeah, 
Uh, you make a little bit more money uh, being a police officer, not a lot, but uh, and growing up, uh, the son of a cop, uh, you had to be very good because it was a small town and all the cops knew who you were. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't one of those things that you could run around and do anything because yeah. if you got caught, you got caught. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, uh, my parents, uh, were Christians and, uh, uh, so we, I grew up in the church, uh, and, uh, whenever the church doors were open, this is back in the sixties and seventies, you were in church. Yeah. Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, we were there for, uh, Wednesday nights. And, um, so I grew up in the church, uh, and grew up, uh, in a family that, that loved God. Yeah. Man, 50 cents an hour, what would that be today? 50 cents, man. That <laughs> It wasn't much back then. I'd have to do a quick Google search. <clears throat> yeah, 50 cents. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty low. Yeah, that would be... Would be like 1964... they have like such things minimum wage back then no 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 there was no such thing minimum wage came into effect when when i started working and minimum wage back then i believe minimum wage for me was a buck 25 an hour and so and i thought i was rich (laughs) (laughs) so oh boy you finding anything i'm mathed out i just got out of math class yeah, and, you should uh, be practiced up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let's see if I'm going to do this right. Stay tuned for Zane's math equation. <laughs> so, a dollar back then was worth so about it'd be about four dollars. Four dollars an hour. Yeah, four dollars an hour. And imagine supporting a family. That's your only income. Yeah. On four dollars an hour today. Yeah. I mean, uh, you yes, had, you had to pay rent and the heat and electricity and the phone and gas in the car, insurance on the car. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> it was a different one. Time to shut him up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Usually, it's me that. Yeah, usually, you know, I told you to silence your phone. Like, well, I'm afraid to silence the computer because I don't, I don't know if that's going to affect our audio. <laughs> oh, it might. You know us and our audio uh, glitches. So it might. <clears throat> um. Anyway, so back then, now that you know, I'm sure since you felt called as a teenager, and uh, you know. Growing up, you know, he was, you kind of put him on the wayside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but looking back now, do you definitely see God pulling strings as you went along? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it, it's called the prevenient grace of God, and that's just the grace of God that goes before. Before you become a Christian, It is it is God's grace working in your life. And, um, I can see that in God bringing Lisa and I together. Yeah. Uh, neither one of us were Christians at the time. And, uh, when we came together, we had 
we weren't going to church. We weren't doing anything. Uh, we were just living our lives and having fun. Yeah. And yet, um, she had a yearning spiritual sense about her. Yeah. She, she was always looking to the spiritual side of things, even though she wasn't a Christian. And, uh, you know, the, uh, we were actually, we moved in together, we're living together, uh, before we got married and that's when we became Christians. And, and that day my mother and my father had been fasting and praying for us all day long. And, uh, Lisa was in another room. She was studying uh, Socrates, I believe. And, um, I was in the living room watching some sporting event on television and God came in and started convicting me that, you know, we needed to get our lives right with him. And I thought if I go in and tell Lisa this, what's going to happen is she's going to walk out laughing at me. And uh, finally I said, okay, God, I'll go talk to her. And I opened the door and she was in the room crying. And I asked her what was wrong, and she says, I'm reading Socrates, and it's talking about sexual sin. And I realized that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I went, well, God was speaking to me too, and right then and there we gave our lives to Christ and got things straightened out. And so I believe God was moving in our lives before, bringing us together, knowing that Lisa had a soft heart and and was ready to to become a christian and yeah. and me growing up that way um i always had a heart for christianity yeah. you know it's almost like uh god was seeing your uh stubbornness as far as being a pastor and he's like now what could i do to get this guy on the right track ah Lisa. That's right. She's the one. <laughs> That's right. You know, and, and, you know, uh, it, 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 it was like, uh, you know, she's, she's eight years younger than me. So yeah. when we started dating, I wasn't sure she was going to stick around, you know, yeah. <laughs> me being an old man, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but it just, there was something that just clicked with us. And, and I believe, God's grace was going before he was yeah. bringing us together. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, well, we're on the subject of you guys dating, so we have to interject a story. You got to tell them the uh, when Lisa first met your parents. <laughs> You're going to like this one, I'm telling you. He's okay. chock full of them. Uh, well, uh, uh, and I have to say, my wife still married me even after I did all of this to her and, <laughs> and every time we turned around, I was doing something to her. She was, she was pretty gullible back then. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, we were going to meet my parents for the first time. She'd never met my parents. So we were going to meet my parents and, and, uh, so as we were on our way, uh, I told her, I said, I've, I've got something to tell you. I probably should have told you a long time ago, but it's kind of tough. Uh, I said, my, my, my parents are, are midgets. And, and I said, but you know, we, we call them little people 
and uh, uh, please don't stare, <laughs> and and um, and just 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 understand that uh, you know uh, midgets can can have grown sons and daughters. You know it happens. You know. And and it, it means that maybe one of our kids could be be a midget also, you know. But but that's okay. And and she's just eating this up. I mean, hook, line, and sinker, you know. And so we get to the house, and I knock on the door, and my mom answers. My mom's five foot six inches tall. Okay, <laughs> my dad's five eleven, and and so. So my mom answers the door, and Lisa hauls off and hits me. And my mom immediately say, "What did he tell you? <laughs> what did he?" T-? And she said, "He told me you were midgets." <laughs> oh uh, man! So, yeah. So that's that's she knew what she's getting into when she married me. Okay, and she still did it. <laughs> yeah. So she can't. She can't be. Return to Sanders, long, long gone. <laughs> yeah, it's too late for that. Um, well, so what do you think has been your greatest challenge as a pastor? Greatest challenge? Now, that's, that's a difficult question. It really yeah. is. You know, uh, there's always tough times in a ministry. Yeah. there There's always tough times, and... Um, I think one of the toughest things that we went through was, uh, here in Wichita when we lost our youth pastor. Yeah. I think, uh, that was so difficult when you, when, when you lose a youth pastor, um, you church goes through a dramatic change because the youth are connected with him and, Mm -hmm. And it was it was difficult uh, to keep the church on track, and and during that time we lost families because oh, yeah. they were connected with with oh, our yeah. youth pastor. That was know. tough on a lot of people. A lot of people dissipated. Oh yeah, because of that. It, it was, and I, and I have to say that was probably my greatest challenge to to keep the church focused and say. You know what? Uh, there is life on the other end of this, and and uh, we'll we'll move we'll get through this with the help of God, and and we did. Uh, you know, I mean, even though our our youth group uh, struggled, uh, we now have another great youth pastor, uh, Nick Hale, and mm-hmm. and Nick is doing a great job with the youth. He's brought the youth group back, and and they're doing some really great things there, and so. Um, but I think that was probably my greatest challenge is to guide the church through that difficult time. Yeah. That was tough on everybody. Yeah. I was there for that. That yep. was that was rough. It it was we lost youth workers because yeah. they were so close to to it, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I remember my sister talking about her finding out that and she she lost it. Mm-hmm. She broke down pretty good. Yeah. And uh, cuz I mean, I was connected to him too. He he brought me up and through four years and uh well he, even even my kids were connected to him yeah. because you know when when we moved from Durango to here uh Tyler was a sophomore was he a junior he was a junior and the girls uh were freshmen yeah and so uh this was a 
dramatic change for them. And he was such a, a key part of their coming in and, and relaxing and being part of the church. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, anytime they had a problem, they could go to Greg and, and he would love on them, you know. Yeah. So it was tough on them too, you know. Yeah. So yeah, tough on everybody. Uh. Hmm. <clears throat> well, um, where to next? I don't know. I don't have the questions in front of you me. You don't have the questions. <laughs> you didn't in front put of them, me? you didn't put them on Google Docs. <laughs> really? Huh. Are well, you that's... sure? I couldn't find them. Could be my fault. You want me to just send you a picture real fast? Sure. It'll ding though. <laughs> That's fine. We're no, actually, it. I don't think it will. I, I, I decided to gamble and mute this. It doesn't make sense. If it's the audio, it'll be fine. It's not muting Are what we're talking sure? about. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I see the squiggly lines on our deal, so we're good. So so you, we didn't lose the last 10 minutes. No, no I don't think so. I mean, no. we technically won't know till the end. Have you guys ever seen uh, that? I mean, you guys are familiar with Tim Hawkins, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. He does that bit where he's on stage and he'll... Uh, He'll start. Uh, he'll be talking, and then all of a sudden, he'll be like, uh, uh, yeah, and then he'll like freeze for a second, and he'll go, uh, uh, and and that's how I found Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we could we could have skipped a very important part of your testimony, and it'd be all Lance's fault because mm-hmm. we have no audio. Yeah, that could be. Well, it'd be the whole end of it. I still got it muted, so <laughs> <laughs> technically we'd miss the whole podcast. Uh, what are, What are your thoughts on Kanye West? <clears throat> hey, you know what? Uh, I think it is fantastic that he gave his life to Christ, and it yeah, and it seems to be a dramatic change. You yeah. know, I mean, he is following Christ with all of his heart yeah. and and everything that he does, and. Right now, he doesn't care what other people th- say, what what they think of him, and uh, so you know it seems like the real deal. And yeah, we were we were uh, <clears throat> we were talking about this last episode. Yeah, and it just seems like he any celebrity that comes to Christ, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, in the past has like gone from they've gone crazy because of that. Like it was all a, it was all an act basically. Whereas Kanye is the opposite. He was, he was kind of out there to begin with, and now he's much more uh, mm-hmm. rational, much more uh, soft-spoken. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I I don't know. I didn't really pay attention to the guy or know the guy before all this happened. Well, he's got so. the Christian album out now. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tyler was talking about it. Said it's a really. Did he listen to it? Yeah, he said it's got some really good music on it. Really? You know, and uh, but you know, it, it, the, the the problem is, and and until we walk a mile in their shoes, we have no idea. Right. Here's mm-hmm. people who have fame, power, money. They've got it all. Yeah. And you know. We have no idea the temptations that are thrown their way when they become Christians. So the, Absolutely. the ones that have become Christians uh, before and kind of walked away from it or fallen away from it, uh, if we walked a mile in their shoes, would we do the same thing? You know, yeah. I mean, you just never know. 
yeah. it's very difficult to be in that situation. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I think we got to be careful of putting him on a pedestal. <clears throat> like, he's doing a great job of putting Jesus above all with That's his right. words right now. Right. But it's easy to put him on a pedestal because of it. Yeah. And if we do that, I mean, he he's he's going to be super tempted. I mean, he's living in he's lived in a world where, you know, we try to stay away from and he's coming from that. And so he's going to be so much temptations with the money you said, you know, that he has and the fame. Yeah. Um I think it's a it's a different level of scrutiny yeah. that he takes on and a different level of uh, temptation that he takes on. Well, I mean, yeah, and especially I, I just think that that's a very valid point. And, and part of the problem with the other, the other, uh, movie stars or, you know, musicians that have given their life to Christ and then fallen away is that the Christian community, us mm-hmm. have put them up on this pedestal. And when you're a brand new Christian, the only way you can go is fall from there, you know? Oh, so yeah. we have to be very careful about putting them on that pedestal. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what, like, there's no uh, rational reason why he should have left the community he did. Well, obviously there is a rational reason, you know, Christ. Mm-hmm. But right. uh, what I'm getting at is he had everything to lose. Right. And the only thing that could pull could have pulled him away from that I can get anything I want lifestyle is Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing out there that could have pulled him away from that. And uh, I'm just curious how, because he's, isn't he married to Kim Kardashian? Mm-hmm. Yes. I am curious to say, like, that has got to be a temptation or, or a, a, a rough spot in and of itself, is that family and the views well, that they hold. And, you know, some of the, Outfits that she was wearing, he's expressed that he did not like them, mm-hmm. and she changed them. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and and uh, so he's upfront with her too. You know, I mean, this isn't something that he's living in the limelight for us to see, mm-hmm. and then behind the scenes, he's not. Suppose, yeah. Supposedly, I had just seen an article about it. But he asked the people that worked on this record, um, the Jesus is King record that they not um, participate in ec- extracurricular activities and uh, save that for marriage. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. he said, if if you're working on this, I want you to, you know, save sex for marriage. And so it's mm-hmm. interesting thoughts that he's. Yeah. You know, and that, and in the lifestyle that he came from, that's, that's a difficult stand to take. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. that'll ostracize you right there. Oh yeah. I mean, because in, in our world today, I mean, Sex is just something you do. Yeah, you know. I yeah. mean, it's something that you do, and and you're not not guilty about it. I think that's the kind of some of the cool nuances of it is you're seeing not just what he's saying, but he's trying to do some other things that really point to him believing in Christ, point yeah. to him living out a true life like that. Yeah. Um, I think that's a difference in some of the other celebrities that have come to Christ and and tried to live it out for a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree, I agree. You know, you take a stand, and and that's what he's done. Yeah, he's taken a stand, and he and and the thing that I see, he really doesn't care what anybody thinks. Yeah, mm-hmm. he doesn't care at all. He, you can say what you want about him, he's straight and narrow. He's staying right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, honestly, it's, he's probably seen it all, done it all, heard it all in the lifestyle he's lived. Mm-hmm. That you know. 
he's just like this doesn't bring me satisfaction. Yeah. It's yeah. a good good testament to fame and fortune. Yeah. Still leaves a hole in your heart. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um so that brings up the world we live in today. Mm-hmm. Talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh you've lived a pretty good chuck life. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in other words, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> Okay, so I am 62 years old. Yeah. So you would have been, when were you born? You would have been born in 1957. Yeah, late 50s. So you've been through uh, quite a few pivotal moments Mm -hmm. in history as far as um, social behavior and uh, spirituality and things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the world has gotten any worse? or better, or if it's remained the same, and maybe we just were more aware of it because of media. Technology. Yeah, mm-hmm. things we're exposed to. You know, that, that that's a very good question, because when you take a look at it, um, I think we judge immediately that things are so much worse today than they were back when I was a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say I, I wouldn't want to be a kid today. Uh, I'm glad I'm where I'm at. Uh, you know, it's it's completely different. But to judge it worse or not, uh, because every time you turn on your phone, every time you open it up or, you know, it, there's news all over it. You, you're connected, so you know everything that is going on. Whereas when I was a kid growing up, you watch the news in the evening, and that's where you got your news. You read the newspaper the next morning, and that's news that happened yesterday. Newspapers aren't that popular anymore because we already got that news yeah. today. We don't need it tomorrow, you know. Yeah. And and uh, so, I think there are some aspects that make it worse. Uh, but you know, I grew up in the '60s. And, uh, you know, there were good things and bad things happening in the 60s. Free love. Yeah. In, in the 60s, you know. And, 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 then, and then on the other side of that, you had the Jesus freaks who yeah. loved Jesus with all their heart. They, they were hippies, but they loved Jesus, you know. They had long hair and beards, kind of like you. <laughs> I don't have long hair. You got a beard. Oh, well, I'm trying. I trimmed not, mine yesterday, though. You're not clean, clean shaven. Uh, I got a mustache, though. But yeah, you know, uh, back then they were just uh, out there. They loved Jesus, yeah. and and so you had the opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, and kind of uh, like it is today. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got. Know, uh, I I would say. There, the the one thing that makes it more difficult today than than back when when I was a kid is is the internet. Yeah, yeah. The internet can be a great thing, and it can be a tool of Satan. Yeah, you know, and and you know when you talk about pornography, mm-hmm. I mean the, the biggest businesses on the internet now are pornography. They're, oh yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Pornographic, so I mean, you don't have to go get a Playboy. You can you walk around with a Playboy in your pocket. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and back when I was a kid, you, you know, you had a if if your dad got those, you had to steal them from your dad. Yeah. You know, and hope you didn't get caught. 
Uh, now my dad never had those, so I didn't have to worry about that. Yeah. But, but I had buddies that would steal them from their dads, you yeah. know, and, and that's the only way you could, you could get there. Mm-hmm. And today you can be a five-year-old, get on your phone and yeah, you type in something like sweet or, or candy and pornographic mm-hmm. images coming up, yeah. you know? So you, I think in that way it has become worse. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and that, that has made sex something that you do anytime you want to do it whether you're married or not you know Mm -hmm. well it seemed to me like from what you're saying the 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 age of exposure has gone down dramatically like when you back in back in your day uh when kids were exposed to that stuff or uh you know whether it be intentionally or unintentionally and not even just sexual stuff. We're talking violence and and uh, you know, gore, dead bodies, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were much older. Their brains could process it a little better. Yeah. Uh, whereas now, uh, you know, like you were saying, any five year old can come across that stuff accidentally. Yeah. And uh, well, you see, you, you, you see little kids playing zombies. Yeah. Well, you know, four and five year old kids playing zombies. Zombies would have scared me to death at four or five years old. You know? I mean, I, I would have freaked out, you know? Yeah. Uh, of course, back then, TV was black and white. Yeah. You didn't have color TV. <laughs> I don't know. When I was, I think I, because me and Tyler would, you know, you know, play Call of Duty all the time. Mm-hmm. And zombies was one of the game modes and when yeah. i first played that i was i was scared i was like yeah. i was probably 15 16 years old and i was scared <laughs> i mean i was playing by myself and i'm like i don't want to run around a house away from zombies the whole time <laughs> and uh but uh yeah i think i think you got a point it's it's i don't know people think i'm crazy when i when i start to talk about this kind of thing but i just think when you start exposing kids to that kind of thing uh, you know, they they get into this. There are seeds that are planted in their mind mm-hmm. that you know it's okay to do this, and especially like with the whole YOLO thing, like you do what oh. you want to do, mm-hmm. as if we live in a vacuum, and we don't live in a vacuum. That's right. Uh, what you do affects other people, and so like. Well, you know, you've you've got to wonder how much of this has affected our kids so that the school shootings have become so commonplace, you know? Mm-hmm. That is exactly, that's the dots I connect. And people think I'm crazy because I often go from the sexual revolution mm-hmm. of the 60s and 70s right. all the way up until now with a school shooting. And it comes from generations of exponentially increasing uh lack of you know fatherless homes and and uh kids without parents and mm-hmm. and i think i think part of it is uh uh you know the fact that uh the mention of god in school is a crime today yeah you know uh you take god out of everything yeah you know uh we have no focus anymore, you know. Yeah. Used to be, 
we prayed in school, yeah. you know, and and we said the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. Yeah. And now some of the schools are taking under God out of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think it brings to, you know, the point, though, that um, as a parent, your job is more important than ever. Oh, yes. Um, you know, and I, I don't take that lightly with having three kids and... Um, but it's tough. I mean, I already struggle with the kids seeing the wrong things on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um, there was this one scary thing that was happening, and it was coming up in the middle of YouTube videos. And oh, yeah. uh, I think it was called Momo or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. 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 My son's seen that. Yeah. And, I mean, I had to go through the building, like, just helping him through it. Yeah. Um, that, that image scares and, me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, honestly, yeah, it, it's demonic. Yeah, and it, it, is. it is. It is. I mean, I don't, I, I can't, like, I accidentally, because my ex-wife put uh, sent me a picture of it, and it kept popping up because we were talking about it, and I was like, delete that thing. Yeah. It was yeah. demonic looking. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, you know, uh, my one of my sons is from my ex, ex-wife in marriage, and um, then my wife has one from her um, previous marriage and uh, Lincoln, and so having two kids that go to other houses, it's even more difficult. Like, you know, we say we have to try to parent the hundred percent, you know, with the 50% we got and try to build up as much as possible their values and to send them out because, you know, they, they have all kinds of opportunities to see things that, you know, not necessarily I'm in control of Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult. So how how do you do that in your house? To control that stuff? Uh, How do you, how do you, uh, take your kids and 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 show them Jesus instead of these things that. Well, you know, ultimately, I set boundaries on what they get to do on their stuff, on their devices, or on on TV, and try to be on top of it. Because I mean, the whole idea that you know, I, I make jokes all the time. You know, we're plugging our kids in, you know, entertaining them. But if you're not in control of what they're watching and that what's going into their minds, just like you know what goes into our minds. Um, then, then you're already losing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, ultimately we, we try to, um, just, we pray with them every night and we, uh, try to teach them the right values. And, um, right. you know, one of our, one of our kids gets to go to a private school. And so, you know, he does get a little bit more Jesus time and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. that's good. But, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's school and even the church is not going to win your kids. Yeah. No. It's not going to teach them. That's right. I seen a, a Facebook post earlier today that said, you know, the church, the church gets 40 hours with your kids a week. Mm-hmm. The school gets about 1,200 hours. Parent, wow. Parents get 3,000 hours. And who you think has the most impact? Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, it's, it's still one of the most important. It was actually, it was a Christian post because it was talking about who, um, you know, that's one of God's greatest um, ministry areas for you. You know, we, we, we tend to be looking for things to do, things to do for God. But yeah. when he gives you a kid, your ministry is that kid. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we're this, the title is podcast is men in armor. I mean, we're here to uh, talk about real issues that men face. And That's right. I think a lot of guys, like you said, they're looking for mission opportunities without even stopping for a second and saying, your first mission field should be your home. Mm-hmm. That's right. Your yeah. wife and your kids. That's your first mission field. So, uh, I. Well, when I became a pastor, 
you know, a lot of pastors uh, save the community and lose their family. Yeah. And uh, Dave Folsom, uh, very godly man. He was a leader in, in the church in Durango. One of the first things he told me was this. He said, you cannot save Durango and lose your family. He said, remember this, Noah only saved his family. Yeah. And he goes, if you lose your family and save all of Durango, you've lost everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we have to take care of that. You know, yeah. and as a police officer, whenever I get a, a juvenile that was in trouble, they did something, uh, you can always find a parent that is disconnected. Mm-hmm. They're not involved right. in, in their lives. They're right. just letting them do whatever they want to do. Yeah. So we as men need to be there for our families, and we need to be the example for them in our lives and what we do also. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to just getting them to talk. Mm-hmm. Getting them oh, to yeah. talk. Because, you know, if my, if, if my dad would have heard half the stuff that I heard at school, like as young as sixth grade, I mean, he would have had a fit. Which, but, which, but I mean, I'm sure he heard the same stuff, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of course, back then, they were still riding bikes and stuff, and now we've got kids on Instagram and trying to become Instagram models. Oh, yeah. So I think it's a little bit different in that aspect, but... I, yeah, he just, he would have, and I just, looking back on it, I wish I would have talked to him more about, like, my day and how mm-hmm. it went, what uh, what I heard, what I saw, things like that. Well, one of the things that I did as, as a dad, um, I took Friday nights, and I would, we would uh, take one of the kids, say, Tyler, my oldest one, and... Uh, at 8.30, everybody else would go in their rooms and go to bed. And what we would do is we'd stay up, we'd watch a movie that he wanted to watch, and we'd talk, and we'd eat junk food, and we'd sleep on the sofa bed. And I did that with each one of my kids. So I had one night a week that I spent with one of the kids, and we would just sit there and talk and and that developed that relationship yeah that is still there today you That's know cool. uh they still talk to me and and uh, we can talk about anything but that was developed on friday nights it was a fun night but it was a night where they could talk to me about yeah what's going on in their lives too yeah, yeah. were you uh what were you ever cuz i saw a facebook post the other day and Lance, you can chime in on this too. Um, you know, I would, I would. It said I, I would want to be. I don't want to be a father that, you know, when my child screws up, he's worried that I'm going to yell at him. I wanted him to be able to come to me and say, "Look, this is what happened." Um, yeah, I think for me, that's a because I've dealt with some anger issues and I get angry at the kids sometimes. Um, some I'm actively working on. Um, I'm trying to create that, 
not not that idea where they get I get upset at them um, because I do when, when I talk to them because this is how my household was at home I could always talk to my dad no matter what was going on yeah mm-hmm. you know I so even at the boys at five and seven I tell them hey I'd rather you come tell me what happened and what was wrong and you know you're probably going to get punished less if you come tell me the truth and not lie to me or you know and try to create an open channel of communication because them coming from two households, they, they do shut down a lot. They shut down a lot more than I think, you you know, kids from one, you know, has one household Yeah, because mm-hmm. they are moved around so much because they have the relationships broken up so much and, uh, just the life that they've lived so far. And, uh, and so trying to create that trust is definitely a big thing. Yeah. Um, and I get mad at myself when I erode that by getting overly angry at stupid stuff, you know? But yeah. you got you got to understand you're human and you, you're yeah. gonna fail, you know. Yeah. Um, you know there I can look back at times with my kids that I failed and we, you know we we tried to create a set of rules that they understood. For instance, um, the worst thing that you could do, the worst thing that you're going to be punished for, the highest punishment that you could ever get from us is if you lied to us. Yeah. Okay. And if you told us the truth about something, yeah, you might be disciplined for that. You know, we, you, you might, uh, be put in time out or you might be, uh, you know, have one of your, you might be not be able to go online and play games with your friends. Yeah. Uh, something like that. But, but if you lied to us, it was much more severe. Yeah. And so we tried to open that up where they felt comfortable talking to us about things, you yeah. know. But they're they're kids. They're you know, I mean, teenagers. They're still not. They're still going to think I can't tell you this. Yeah. You know, I can't tell them this. And and you find out years later what was going on. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's. Just- that's going to be, you know, that seems like a struggle because as a kid, you're like, there's no way they're going to understand. There's no way they could possibly be able to, uh, uh, under feel what I'm feeling mm-hmm. when in reality, you know, my dad's done it all, seen it all. He knows yeah. what he probably, he's struggled with the same things I did. Oh yeah, as a young man growing up in high school, and and I think if we say we haven't, as adults, struggled with what our kids are struggling with, we're probably lying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because Satan doesn't change. Yeah. He tempts. He knows. He knows the temptations, and so yeah. they're being tempted in the same way that we were tempted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> yeah, it's just interesting because you know, Lance and I obviously we come from. I want to be a dad, but I have no experience with it yet, and Lance does. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm just curious how much of the stuff I've said that in your head you've just been like, ah, oh, that'll change. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> your perspective will change on that. Yeah, you'll gain experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I can tell you being a grandfather is a whole lot better than being a dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I just had a, uh, I have a 12-week-old baby girl, and so now, first girl, so that's oh. that scares me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. That's... You can't, tell me about, you can't, you know. 
But my wife's already was already like when you know before she was born, she's like you know you're gonna have to be a little calmer. You're you know she <laughs> she's gonna have feelings that the boys don't have that you gotta be, be pay attention to and and you gotta understand that in our normal voice when we're talking, sometimes that's a little bit too loud and it scares girls. Yeah, and so you know you they're they're not guys, you know. Yeah, yeah. and well, and and always always make sure that they're. If a guy comes to pick them up, they're scared of you. Okay. <laughs> well, we already Lance... talked about getting their shotguns. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Me and Lance have talked before. You know, boys are just—they're hardwired to be violent. I mean, they're—they're they're adventurous and yeah. they get their knees skinned up and they crack knuckles and yep. you know, hawk loogies and that's right. And girls are just not that way. I mean, they might be for the first, you know five or six years of their life but then it was weird my sister she would be outside with me we would be looking at bugs and then one day just out of nowhere i was like hey look at this spider and she's like ew that's gross and she ran inside and i'm like what just happened <laughs> this was my adventure buddy and now she thinks it's gross that's funny uh so i don't know it's just like a switch is flipped and all of a sudden they're girls it's yeah. weird yeah but let me tell you what, girls change your lives too. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know you you think uh, Tyler, my my son, always wanted that when he gets married, he wants to have a boy first, right? Yeah. Until we had our granddaughter, and it would be his uh, niece, and he fell in love with her, and now he says, "I want to have a girl first. <laughs> <laughs> Why not just have both? Yeah, have twins. Why does he? Got, yeah." <laughs> yeah that'll work yeah uh so what what do you think was the greatest challenge and mind you you only have, you you share what you want to share i mean i understand that there's personal things that you know maybe you want to keep on the the down low but what was one of your greatest challenges as a father greatest challenges as a father man you know i think the greatest challenge for me as a father was my own feelings yeah. and controlling, once again, the anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, because because kids have a way of being able to get under your skin, and they know how to do it. <laughs> okay? And uh, there were things that made me angry, and I really had to... And... and, and I, I I grew through the time and I learned to to just stay calm, okay? Yeah. Doesn't mean I was perfect all the time, but I think for me it was controlling that and trying to be there for them even when they're in the wrong, trying to be there for them and help them understand not that they did wrong, but why it was wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you, you get to the point, as Andy Stanley talks about, it's it's not necessarily about right and wrong. It's about wise and unwise. Yeah. Why was this unwise for you to do? Yeah. Okay, or why would, what would have been a wiser decision? Yeah. You know, and uh, that's that's what I tried to do that was a great challenge that's what i tried to do 
But when they do something and you get angry, it's hard to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have to control that first. Probably a good example would be like, for instance, if, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I got in trouble for stealing a uh, pair of like little sunglasses because um, my cousin had some. So I just took them from the store thinking I was getting them too. And we got to the car, and I've got these sunglasses on. And my mom was like, where did you get those? I was like, I took them. And mind you, I was probably, I I was young. I was little. And I got in big trouble. And, you know, as a kid, you know, you get in trouble for something like that. And you just, you don't have a concept of someone worked hard to make that. Uh, some business owner worked hard to buy materials, come up with a plan and a vendor and sell that to that vendor. That vendor works hard to run a business selling merchandise. And when you take something, it, you devalue what they've done with their life. Right. And so I think that's, that's probably I think that's what you're getting at. Right. Is, exactly. Yeah, stealing's wrong, but I didn't understand why it was wrong until it was explained to me like, look, someone worked hard for that. Mm-hmm. And you can't just take it without offering something in return, without giving them its value for it. That's so, right. That's exactly it right yeah. there. Yeah, because some, sometimes I have a hard time because I'm like, I kind of pretty strict with the rules. And like, they break the rule, and I'm like, you know, I get mad at them or, you know, I grill them about it instead of sometimes I got to realize that I got to teach them why the rule is, why the rule mm-hmm. exists and that they didn't. Yeah. 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 They didn't mean anything by it. You know, they were just, uh, sometimes they don't even know. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of things that we could explain all day long, but they're not going to understand until they're much, much older. Cause right. I mean, you could say, don't watch that. But if you go to explain why as a kid, it doesn't hit home. Like if you watch that, it's going to, you know, and you indulge in that, it's going to open this cavern in your heart and there's going to be so much emptiness and so much pain and so much, uh, longing for something more, but never finding it. Exactly. And they don't understand that. That's not something that you can understand till you've, you know, experienced it or gone through it. And there's a lot of things where I wish I could go back and, with the understanding that I have now. Mm-hmm. Well, then I think you still need to do that though. Yeah. You still need to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And, and because at some point it is going to sink in and they're going to grasp it. Yeah. And you don't know at what point that is going to be, what age that is because every child is different. Yeah. 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 I think sometimes as, <clears throat> um, as Christian parents, as you know, trying to raise kids the right way, um, you gotta not be afraid to talk to them sometimes about some of the serious stuff. They they are kids, and you should shelter them from a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're not getting sheltered in the world, and you gotta prepare them for that. Yeah, no, that's yeah. right. Yeah, when you when you hide them from that, they they've got to know what's out there mm-hmm. because they're gonna face it. You know. Yeah, I mean, the greatest thing you can do is prepare them for when they cross something that they need to make a decision on that's right or wrong. Or that's um, that they need to make a better choice with. Yeah. And they can make a worse choice. 
Yeah. And that's that's what we're raising. We're raising kids to become adults that make choices on their own. So we have to give them every tool we can to make the correct decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would ask uh, advice for navigating a secular world, but I feel like we've covered a lot of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless there's one piece of advice you could offer to, you know, jam it all in one little ball. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Literally. I mean, you know, we talk about that a lot, but, um, man, for me, it is always asking myself, okay, if Jesus were sitting right here with me, would this make him proud of me? Yeah. Would he be happy with this? Yeah. Uh, and you know, the, the only, the only one that we have to answer to ultimately is God. Yeah. And unless we live for him, it's like we were talking about Kane West. He doesn't care what other people are saying. And we need to get to that point where we don't care what other people are Mm -hmm. saying. We're living for God. That's our number one thing. I put God before everything else. Yeah. I put God before my wife and my kids I yeah. put God before my church. And when I do that, I become the husband that Lisa always wanted because I put God first. Yeah. And my kids see the dad that they've always wanted because I put God first. Yeah. And so that's number one. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think even uh that's that can be a struggle. I mean, even that's might even still be a struggle for you, and that's something I, I wonder about. Is you know, as Christians, we probably see other Christians and how strong they are, and I know I thought this many times. It's like surely they don't struggle with that. Surely that is not a, that is not something that they deal with. Like that is not a temptation they've ever had to fight off. That is not surely not. They're too strong for that. Well, I think that's a you know hard for people that have don't even know Christ. It's like nobody else feels the way I feel. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. a that's a very uh, big and cruel tool that the devil uses to yeah. put you in a box and make you think you're alone. Yeah, that's it. it, it I'm the only one that's ever felt this way. Yeah, when we know that's not true. Yeah, it, just to give you a for for instance won't mention his name, but we have a guy that lost his wife a few years back in our church, and uh, he asked to, to meet with me every once in a while, so I did that, and and it was an accountability thing for him. And when his wife died, there were several widows who were coming after him. Oh, boy. <laughs> and he goes... The temptation is there. And there were there were widows that were not Christians that were coming after him, that were offering him things. And we're talking a guy that was almost 80 years old. <laughs> okay? And so when you take a look at something like that, he's going through the same thing that we are going through yeah. in our lives. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And, and so if it happens then... It's nothing new. 
Yeah. yeah. It's nothing new. It happens to all of us. Yeah. I, I, I think the best way we can do that is, I don't know. In my mind, the Bible has a situation for everybody. Yes. If you ha- if you're struggling with something, it's in there. Mm-hmm. It's it's in there somewhere. It may be between the lines, but it's in there. And I think uh, two of the things I identify with most are Samson, the story of Samson. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm a giant Hercules whenever <laughs> I have long hair, but who who knows? Maybe. But um, and Paul. When he's uh, talking, his verse, his tongue twister verse, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I cannot make myself do that which I want to do, but that which I do not want to do, I do. Romans mm-hmm. seven. Yeah, and that uh, that hits home really, really hard. And so, and then I often, but I also often wonder, John, you know, uh, when John says um, uh, those who are living in sin, uh, oh man. It escapes me. But those who are living in sin are not with Christ. Something along mm-hmm. those lines. Right. So but so that's and I've already talked to Nick about this. And not that I'm not satisfied with his answer. I'm just wondering what your perspective is. Uh why is it that we have two different schools of thought there? And not that it's a contradiction, but it's just, you know, I identify with Paul because there are a lot of things, I mean, as far as my spiritual regimen that I failed to do. and But here's, here's the question. Do you really identify with Paul? Or do you identify with Paul in Romans chapter 7? Because that's what you're talking about. I don't do what I, what I know is right. And I do do what I know I shouldn't do. And that's because of sin well, living yeah, in yeah. me. That's something that he struggled with, is it not? It, it, it is. But he doesn't leave it there. Yeah. It goes on to... Romans chapter 8. Now, one thing that we have to understand is that uh, the epistles like Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and all these, Mm -hmm. they are letters written to churches. Yeah. Okay? And when we write a letter, we don't write a letter uh, to someone, chapter 1, verse 1, and then we write. We put those chapters and verses in there so we can find things in the Bible. Right. It was written as a letter. And so you have to read the letter as a whole. So you come out of Romans chapter 7 into Romans chapter 8, and Romans chapter 8 is the answer to Romans chapter 7. Okay. Romans chapter 7, Paul's saying, man, in my sinful self, in 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 my, in that inward sinful self that that I have I cannot live but he says but thanks be to God through Christ Jesus we have victory and you go into Romans chapter 8 and it starts off by saying um, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for what the spirit of sin was uh, man, now I, I just lost it. <laughs> Isn't that great? I you was can't going to do that. You're a pastor. <laughs> but what what it's saying there is in in is that um, what the spirit of the law was unable to do. Yeah. The rules, the Ten Commandments. Yeah. They didn't have the ability. To, the spirit of life, and that's capital S. That means the Holy Spirit is able to do in us because He gives us victory over sin and death yeah. and hell. And so what you got to do is, yes, a lot of us live there, but what he's saying is through the Holy Spirit, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can live above that and beyond that. And in fact, let me, I got my Bible right here. Okay. <laughs> I think I think we got to go to the Bible. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, sounds good. You guys believe in the Bible? I'm old. I got to put on my glasses. Okay, so we can go to this real quick here. And, and even at the end of Romans, uh, chapter 7 he he goes on to explain and i'm gonna go right here come on we do this a lot so don't feel like you need to be rushed yeah we, we take some time we find <laughs> our place it just doesn't feel as genuine if we have it all prepared yeah yeah so it says here and verse 24 in chapter 7, what a wretched man I am. After all of this, after he says, I, I don't do what I should do, and I do do what I shouldn't do, and, and it's sin living in me, he goes, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Because that's where that kind of life le leads. And then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? And then he says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And then you go to Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 goes on. Um, Therefore, there is now no condemnations for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, who gives lives has set you free from the law of sin and death. Huh. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who sets us free from that which we experienced in Romans chapter 7. I do right. what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I know I should do. Yeah. I think that might be an area of, of uh, discouragement for a lot of us. I know it has been for me in the past where, you know, just because you commit your life to Christ and because you perhaps recommit your life to Christ and uh but you're still when you like man I got really anger him for no reason I or uh, man I saw that girl walk by and started having impure thoughts uh it's very difficult to when we're talking about doing the things that we cuz we want to do the things that's right. That we should do. That's right. We want to do them. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes we just can't. We lose. Well, we can. Well, yeah, we can. Well, no, let, let's, let's, let's take that a step further. You're right. We can't. But God can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay? And that's, that's the difference. You know, we try to do it in our own power. And what Paul is telling us here in Romans chapter 7 if you read Romans chapter 7, it says, I, look at all the personal pronouns. Mm -hmm. You know, take take a, a, a physical Bible, a paper Bible, and just circle in Romans chapter 7 all the personal pronouns there. I cannot do what I, I cannot do what I want to do. I do, and it's all I, me, myself. That's what it all is in there. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is, 
I can't do it. Mm -hmm. In Romans chapter eight, he's saying, I can't do it, but God can. Yeah. God can do it. God can get into me. God can send his Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean you're going to be perfect? There's only one perfect person. Yeah. And that was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they crucified him. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so we're not going to be perfect. We're going to have failures. But that... Usually we're going to fail when we're relying on ourselves, though, when we go back into that, that space of where you're talking about Paul and the personal pronouns and I. Right. When it's I, we're going to fail. That's right. When we have the Holy Spirit is when we're going to win. That's right. When we're right. going to achieve. The Holy Spirit can step up next to you and, and uh, you know, stop you in your tracks. Mm-hmm. It's like when I first became a Christian. Um, I used to cuss like a sailor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So did Lisa. <laughs> she cussed better than I did. And uh, and so, you know, we the Bible talks about not using coarse language, okay? And so we knew this is something that we needed to clean up in our lives. And so what I would do is I would say, Lord, I need help. Uh, this is something that is a habit, and I need help with this. So I just pray today that as I'm out there, if I cuss that you'll bring it to my attention and you know what he did i'd be out there as a cop and i'd cuss and and immediately the holy spirit would say hey did you need to say that mm-hmm. and i didn't hit my knees and say oh lord i'm a sinner please forgive me <laughs> <laughs> well you might not have been a cop if you did that every time <laughs> yeah. i'd probably been dead <laughs> okay uh, but in my mind, immediately, I'd say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to do better next time. Yeah. And you know, within six months, I wasn't swearing anymore unless I smashed my thumb with a hammer. <laughs> and then it came out. And then about a year, I could smash my thumb and I wouldn't say it. I might think it. <laughs> and now I don't even think it. Hmm. Okay? And so that's that's just part of it. Just saying, God... And, and God's not going to work on everything in your life that needs to be changed all at once because that would be overwhelming. But we need to let him work on one thing. And maybe that one thing is anger. Yeah. And and so we go to James chapter 1 for the anger. Be slow to to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. And And we keep that in our mind and have ask God to help us with that mm-hmm. anger. When I start feeling it, we can move on, mm-hmm. you know. And and anger, now we're getting deep here. Anger mm-hmm. is a secondary emotion. Yeah. That means it's something that we experience second to another emotion. Primary emotions are fear, hurt, and frustration. Mm-hmm. And you're going to feel one of those three before with the kids, mm-hmm. many times it's frustration, and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you feel that frustration. That's what you feel before you get to the anger. Mm-hmm. So what you're asking God to do then, if the anger is your thing, you say, God, help me to catch it in the fear, the hurt, or the frustration part of of it, and help me to stop it there. Mm-hmm. And And God is faithful and just, and he will do that, okay? Yeah. He will. He will slow you down. Yeah. And so 
you know, it might be looking at that pretty girl. Yeah. That's the way we're created to notice a pretty woman. Yeah. I would not have noticed Lisa if I hadn't been noticing pretty women. Okay. Yeah. And I noticed her. I was attracted to her. And now we've been married for 33 years. Okay. Yeah. But it's saying, God, I know that it can go too far. Mm-hmm. Stop me before it goes that direction. Yeah. There's nothing wrong. I think with... the biggest thing I see in what you're talking about is a daily, daily giving it to God, daily asking for his help. Exactly. It's not something where, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. <clears throat> God help me with this, and he fixes it. It's a daily um, just giving it to him. Well, and that's it. You know, I, I, the Bible tells us that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, in fact, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 20, I believe it is, maybe 19, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit every morning because I can't do this life without the Holy Spirit filling my very being. Mm -hmm. But it's just not a daily thing. It may be an hourly thing. Mm -hmm. It may be even by the minute. I need to be... Well, another thing, you know, I noticed you said, you know, whenever you were about to cuss Mm -hmm. or you did cuss, you went to God. And and I think that's like a, a step. For people that are struggling with anything, any addiction or anything like that. Exactly. Of any time that you're either struggling or any time that you screw up, if your next thing is to go to God, then you're gonna eventually he's going to lead you out of that. Exactly. And that and and asking for forgiveness. God is not up there just waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. Yeah. Okay. He's up there saying, I want to help you. I want to help you do better next time. I yeah. understand your weakness. And yeah. he understands that intimately. Yeah. I think that's another really encouraging uh when so when uh Lazarus died and uh Jesus went down to see Martha and Mary mm-hmm. and Martha and Mary are just both just weeping and everyone's everyone's weeping. It's right. it's a it's a powerful grieving moment. That's right. And Jesus, who knew this was going to happen, he even said it was going to happen. You know, he said, uh, so that you may believe this, this is That's supposed right. to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, he wept. Yes, he did. Right along with, right alongside him. You know, he, they say that Lazarus and Jesus's relationship was very, very lax. They were, they were friends. They mm-hmm. talked like friends, mm-hmm. uh, like, like we are now, like a, over coffee or something. And, uh, he wept right alongside them. And I think that's a really big testimony, a very, very interesting, tangible testimony to his love for us besides his crucifixion, obviously. Right. Uh, that, God wants to see you uh God wants to see you succeed. He wants he's on your side. He wants to Well, I think I think one of the ways to put it is when we hurt, he hurts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. He feels our pain. Yes. And in in uh, 
the Psalms in chapter 50, it says that God keeps track of every one of our tears. In fact, he collects them in a bottle and he writes down each and every one of our sorrows. That's how much he cares. Yeah. And so he hurts when we hurt. Yeah. And, and so he's not there to punish us. He's there to help us through. And if we just go to him (laughs) and say, okay, I blew it. Help me to do better the next time. If you actually do that right away, I mean, he takes you right back and he says, man, it's cool. I'm going to help you. Yeah. And you'll get better and better with time. Yeah. Well, I mean, in like the story of the prodigal, uh, I think there's, whenever we come to that position, that's a, that's a huge, I know for me in the past, that has been a huge wall to get over. You know, when I screwed up, there is no possible way that I can go back to God after that mm-hmm. and, you know, not at least not right away, you know. It'd be like when I when I tick Reagan off or something, like she needs some space. I'm gonna mm-hmm. give her some space. That's not the way God is. Uh like when they talk the story of the prodigal, he hiked up his robes and ran to his son. Right. In that day and age, uh especially nobler people, wealthy people, running was unheard of. You had servants to run for you. Yep. But he hiked up his robes and ran. He didn't wait for yeah. his son to come to him. He, was he in, ran to yes, his son. He was indignant yeah. to get to his son. Right. He put his dignity by the wayside to go hug his son. That's right. So, And let, let me say this. Uh, you must have done something really bad to upset Reagan. She's, <laughs> she's such a sweetheart. She <laughs> says hi, by the way. Okay. Well, tell her hi for me, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Had to get that in there. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this has been a lot of good conversation. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, uh, but we gotta we gotta do one thing. the The sole reason I got you on the show. Uh, there's a story that I want you to tell, just because it's one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. Uh, Lance, you're gonna love this. I promise you. <laughs> but disclaimer. If any of you have a weak stomach, if you're driving a car or have kids in the room, I would say stop the podcast here because this is it's uh it's uh it's not for the faint of heart as if far as disgusting level. If you're eating anything, put yeah, it down. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> go on with it. Uh, go on with yeah. it. Well well what 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 Zane's talking about is uh when when I was a police officer in Waterloo, Iowa, there were uh, three hospitals, and they hired off-duty police officers to work uh, as security. And we wore uniforms, and that way we could make arrests or anything else, and we call for backup, and they we'd have all that help. So that that's what they did back then. And so I was working in St. Francis Hospital uh, on the midnight shift as security, and uh, I got a call up to Five East, and Five East is is a psych psych ward, uh, and uh, there are a lot of good people up there, and there were some bad people up there. I've met a whole lot of people up there that had some fantasies that were just beyond your imagination. <laughs> 
But um, there's this one guy, he was in a locked down padded room. Uh, there were no sinks, no bathrooms. There was just four walls and uh, there was a caged in window and uh, a locked door. And there was a bed there. And they were trying to give him his medications and he would not calm down to get his medications so they called me. So I walked up there, unlocked the door and walked in to talk to him. And I talked to him, I told him, I said, hey, listen, we gotta give you your meds. And, uh, you know, we've, it's something that has to be done. It, this is to help you. And we were just talking back and forth. And, and uh, I moved around to the other side in the windowsill. And I just kind of sat on the windowsill and I was talking to him and I, I smelled something. <laughs> and I looked over and here was the styrofoam cup. And I looked in it and it was filled with puke. And I was like, so he had no place to puke, so they gave him a cup to puke in, right? Mm. And I now, I, immediately, I feel like I'm going to lose my cookies, and there ain't no place to do it. So, <laughs> so I decide it's time for me to move to the other side. So as I moved, he moved over to the windowsill, and he sat down. And I said, now, look, if you don't do this, I'm going to call back up, and we're going to come, and we're going to hold you down, and we're going to give you your meds. And he looked at me and he said, well, I appreciate your honesty. And because you put it that way, I'm going to do this for you. And he grabbed that cup of puke and he chugged it down. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sitting there. And when he pulled the cup from his mouth, the string of puke was just hanging mm. there. And, and I'm sitting there. And now I know I'm going to lose it. And I'm beating on the door so they'll unlock it and let me out. I'm so sick. And I get out. And they lock the door behind me. And, you know, there's cameras in there. And they're all laughing. All the nurses are laughing at me. And I said, what are you laughing at? And they said, he's been drinking that and puking that all night long. Oh, mm. oh man. <laughs> so that's my puke story. Oh, man. Lance, you ready to go have lunch? No. <laughs> it is. It still makes me sick thinking about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. man. Well, Cecil, it's been a pleasure having you on. Yeah, I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, thanks for giving us your time. Well, thank you. Uh, if you want to insert a, if you want to up the attendance at Westside Naz, now's your chance. Hey, 1045 Sunday mornings, uh, come see us. Uh, we have a great uh, uh, praise band, and uh, the preachers, eh, he's okay. But the people, <laughs> the people are fantastic there. Yeah, they, they, they they'll are. They'll love on you. I grew and, up with uh, all of them. Just stay away from Zane. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Zane's okay, but, you know, if he brings Reagan, it's better. You <laughs> yeah. Know, so, but yeah, it's 1045. Come see us. We'd love to see you. Uh, Lance, where can they reach us? Uh, find us on Facebook and uh, just just look for men in armor and yeah. we're on facebook well, also our website yeah. menarmor.com until then suit up and fight on see you guys later see ya.